Hey, this is Derek. I am the lead pastor at Calvary Baptist Palaka, and I just want to thank you for downloading our podcast. If you haven't subscribed yet, I'd love for you to go ahead and hit that subscribe button. We are going to continue to provide our Sunday service via podcast as well as live stream on the weekends. We're going to be adding more content to this podcast as we go forward, so we're glad you're here. Hope you stay. May God bless you. Well, good morning, everybody. I am just, I'm just having a hard time wrapping my brain around a lot of things right now. And I don't think I'm alone in this. If if you've known me at any time, and any of you, I love technology, love gadgets. If I can fix it with a gadget, you should see our kitchen at home. It's full of gadgets, and I'm always looking for the next best one, or the next thing that can supposedly bring a lot of value to my life. Or it can peel a potato for me twice as fast. But I love gadgets. I love technology. And you know, the funny thing about technology is, is that what you get today that's supposedly new, it's already old before you can take it out of the box. Especially when it comes to like the way that phones work now and the way that computers work now and even televisions. You go buy a new one and they say, this is the best TV you can buy last week because there's already a new one. It's going to be here on Tuesday. So you wait for Tuesday. And Tuesday comes and I go, here it is. It just came off the truck. This is the best TV that you could have bought last week because there's a new one coming next Wednesday. We're always talking about the future. I personally think if I could have a power, you know, when I was a kid, I would want to run fast or fly or be invulnerable or have super strength. As I get older, I would just like to know what's coming. Wouldn't that be nice? Just maybe an hour. I mean, it'd be nice to see a, a day or two ahead and kind of know what's coming. But even an hour would be good, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be good to know in the next five minutes what's going to run through your brain? So if you're like me, you can learn to take and get that crow sandwich ready. You know, the funny thing about a crow sandwich is it doesn't matter how much mustard you put on it, it doesn't go down easy. Oh, buffets of them. Buffets of them. So as I was preparing for this, this idea of not just being able to predict the future, but survive the future that seemed appropriate given the time of the year, and maybe more appropriate considering we're coming out of best guess estimate, the worst year we've had in forever, but I guess that's just for folks that haven't lived a long time, because I'm sure there's been some other rough years. But I just wanted to bring a couple quotes to you from the last 40 or 50 years about technology and about people who thought they could see the future. Popular mechanics said in 1950, computers in the future will will weigh no less than 1.5 tons. Aren't you glad that your iPhone or that your smartphone in your pocket doesn't weigh 1.5 tons? Aren't you glad you don't need a fifth wheel to bring your phone with you so you can check Facebook, talk to your grandkids? The, I, the chairman of IBM said, I think there is a world market for maybe five computers. He said that in 1943. 1957, I have traveled the length and breadth of this country and talked with the best people, and I can assure you that data processing is a fad that won't last out the year. That was 1957. 
don't know if y'all paid attention, but this little place called Amazon, they own most of the world's data. Google owns the other half between the two of them. They own it all. But apparently this was all supposed to go away 40 years ago. Bill Gates, the father of Microsoft, in 1981 said 640K of memory, kilobytes of memory, ought to be enough for anybody. And I guarantee you in here, the person who has the slowest phone has got at least 2 gig of RAM in it, which is about 1,200 times more than he said anybody would ever need. This is a really good one. This is from 1876 about the telephone, which we've already gone past the telephone, haven't we? Few of us haven't hanging in our houses anymore. They all fit in our pocket. The telephone has too many shortcomings to be seriously considered as a means of communication. I think this guy was thinking about texting. That's what I'm thinking. The device is inherently of no value to us. 1876. But there's no place for the telephone in the future. Skip a, skip a six generations and he's right. Because nobody wants to talk on the telephone anymore. I don't. I just want to text you. Because I can do it when I want to and then I can wait for you to reply. <laughs> Done. Here's the crazy thing. My kids, who are four and almost two, they can't understand talking to somebody without seeing a video of them. They are truly children of the pandemic. They have lived on Zoom and they've lived on FaceTime for so long that when I just call my mom and put her on speakerphone while I'm doing something so I can talk to her, they walk up to the phone looking for Gam. Gam, where are you? Gam. And they're trying to show her things. Adeline's walking up going, baby, here, baby. Hat, baby, and I'm like, and I'm like, honey, she can't see you. And she just goes, walks away. So, but apparently we don't need it. Here's one I like the most. This is from 1977, so just a couple years older than I am. There is no reason anyone would want a computer in their home. 1977. This guy is the president, the chairman, and the founder of the Digital Equipment Corporation. The guy that was at the cutting edge of technology in 1977 said, there is absolutely no reason why anybody would want a computer in their home. He's right. We all want them in our pockets now. If you follow technology at all, Apple is trying to put them in a pair of glasses right now. Microsoft has done it. It's called the HoloLens. It's called augmented reality, where you look through the glass and it puts your digital world over top of your real world so you can now blend the two together. It's called augmented reality. Because reality isn't good enough, we gotta augment it now. How much better, okay? And for some of y'all, you're scratching your head going, this makes no sense. But you have two generations of people that are like, yes, if I could walk around and talk to my Nana, but also have YouTube videos of cats with pancakes on their head in my field of vision, my life would be better. It would be. If I would have known in 1977 what I know now, I might have bought some stock in a few places like Intel and Apple and IBM. And money would be a problem that I don't have. But I can't see the future. I can't predict 
what's going to happen to them. But yet, God's word tells us everything we need to know about the future to secure us today if we're willing to listen to it. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us that we're going to have computers in our pocket. But it tells us things of value that actually will quiet our soul. Now, that doesn't need to be augmented. It doesn't need to be added to. It's just got to be brought out and put there. This morning, and I don't know how much we're going to get through of this because it is a huge passage of Scripture. But we're going to be in 2 Corinthians this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And we're going to look at about 11 verses, 7 through 18 this morning. I don't think we're going to get through all of it. I'm going to get through the beginning and I might skip to the end. Just for time's sake this morning. But I want you to hear Paul talk about. Now here's what's happened. They are questioning Paul's ministry. The church in Corinth is questioning Paul's motives and questioning whether or not he has a real, true ministry. And you know what they were basing some of it off of? What things looked like. You know, there was a, a basketball team not too long ago. They were from a not-so-great part of the city, and they loaded up, and they, they had this basketball game, and they were going on the road, and they were traveling, and they went to this private school. And they pulled up in their bus, and they got out, and it was this immaculately kept school. It looked like a college. And they got out, and all their was this big gymnasium that had everything you could imagine in it. It was beautiful, it was perfect. It looked nothing like the 50-year-old building that they played in that had a leaky roof. It was modern, it was current, it was real, it was relevant, it was new. And they got off that bus and immediately they were dejected. Because they're like, there is no way we can compete with that. And that's just looking at the building. They walk inside, they see the other team there. The other team has all matching tennis shoes. The best, the greatest. They're all wearing LeBron 25 or whatever's out now. I haven't kept up for a couple years. I think he's on 15. They're all wearing custom shoes that match their school. They all have matching warm-ups on. They all look, they're all good-looking guys. They just look like athletes. They're the best of the best. And these guys are sitting there watching them. They're going, there's no way we can compete with that. And the coach is looking and he's watching his kids. And he's watching the will get drained out of them because he's looking at that. What, what they thought in their mind and what the world told them was perfection. They're looking at it and it's just draining the will out of them. It's draining the hope out of them. And they're beat before they even play. Folks, that's a lot of Christians today. The devil has you beat before you've even got in the game. You're sitting on the sidelines. You're waiting for God to tag you in. And then you're just like, but I can't compete with that. I know churches right now that are like, well, we can't compete with them. We can't be them. We can't do that. We don't have the money they have. We don't have the budget we, they have. Well, this coach pulled aside those kids and he said, look, let me tell you something. 
who wins this game today is not going to be based on what's on the outside. It's going to be based on what's on the inside. Because although they look perfect on the outside, I know what you guys have on the inside. You guys have grit. You will grind. You will fight. You will scrap. I'm not sure they've ever had to do that in their whole lives. You guys, from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep, you fight for everything you have in this world. And I think that's going to make a difference today. Who wins is not going to be based on what's on the outside. It's going to be based on what's on the inside that gives us victory. And I look at the church today and I look at Christians and I say there is nothing more true for us as believers today. Whether or not we are going to be successful in this world has nothing to do with what's on the outside. It has everything to do with what's on the inside. And the church at Corinth was judging Paul for the fact that he was, let's be honest, probably not the best looking dude. Nickname old camel knees, so he had old knobby knees and he was... Walked with a limp and he had an ailment. He had a, a thorn that he couldn't ever get rid of out of his side. He had been beaten with whips. He'd been beaten with chains. He'd been jailed. He'd been locked up. He'd been shipwrecked. I'm pretty sure his body had a few miles on it. He was not looking like that perfect basketball team. And they said, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> There's a word in here, too, for name it, claim it. That is not in the Bible, folks. Paul said... You're judging this all wrong. You see, I'm dying so I can produce the life of Christ in me. Unless I die, I never truly live. Because what matters is on the inside. And Paul gives him a little lesson starting here in chapter 7. He says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Great opening verse, wish I'd have wrote it. But let me tell you what, earthen vessels, clay jars. Most translations say this, they say, now we have this treasury in clay jars so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. You know, I think about clay jars, and the first thing that pops in my head is David talking about being a pot shard and songs and broken and dried up and no good for anything that he's going to be given back to the dust I think about the Egyptians that when they would embalm people and they would pull the vitals out they would put them in little clay jars and seal them up with wax and bury them so that if you needed your heart later on you kept it in a jar on the shelf in case you needed it I think they would have been surprised that a few of those pharaohs didn't have a heart in a jar but they're fragile, folks. They're nice, but they're fragile. You know, clay pots have a shelf life. It's funny that Paul said that what I am is like a clay vessel. I have a shelf life. I'm good. I'm built for a purpose. I'm supposed to be a container. Clay jars are supposed to hold things. But, you know, eventually this clay jar is going to give out because they do. It's going to get dropped. It's going to get broken. If Adeline gets it, she's going to slam it up against the wall the first chance she gets just to see how many pieces it makes. But he said, I'm like a clay jar. And you know why I'm fragile? I'm fragile 
so that nobody can ever say that I produced anything that came out of me. You think about the things that we don't know are coming, but I can tell you this, they are coming for the purpose, if you believe this and you think like this, of revealing the extraordinary power that God has inside of you. Paul says, so you can know it's not of me, that it's of God. When Jesus was crushed at Calvary, as Isaiah said, for our iniquity, God's grace and mercy came out of him. And we know that it had to have been even something greater than him. The Father was in him. So Paul says, we're like these earthen vessels. And I'm like this because I don't want anybody to ever think that this is of me. And he says, we're troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Folks, I know without a shadow of a doubt that I can't see the future, but yet I can see the future. Here's what I know. I know this year that you're going to be troubled on every side, that you're going to be perplexed, that you're going to be persecuted, and you're going to be cast down. It's a given. Jesus said they're going to hate you because they hate me. We know that that's what the future holds. Whether we're coming out of 2020 or 2090 or whether it's 1820, that is the reality of the world that we live in. And here's the thing. Whether or not you are a believer or whether or not you are not does not change the fact that everybody that has skin on that walks this earth goes through all these things. And Paul said, but yet we don't all come out the same on the other side. <coughs> Why is that? Because what matters more is what's on the inside than what's on the outside. So he says, although I am troubled on every side, I'm not distressed. Another way of looking at that, another way of translating that out of Greek is, I'm not completely hemmed in. Like there's no, there's, I've never been put in a spot where there at least is not a way out through God. Now, folks, I'm going to be honest with you. I've been through some stuff in life, just like all of you have. And there have been some circumstances and situations in my life that I have planned and schemed and planned and schemed and planned and schemed. And I could never find a way out. One of them was my sin. I could never find a way out. Doesn't matter how much I tried, didn't matter how much money I made, didn't matter how great my job was, didn't matter how big my house was, how expensive my car was, it didn't matter how many accolades I had, there are certain things that I just could not get out of on my own. But Paul said, despite the fact that there are so many avenues closed and so many people feel trapped, hemmed in, stuck with God, there's always at least an open door. I know I'm going to be pressed. Another translation, verse 8 says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. You know what? We're going to have things try and close us in, try and hem us in, try and keep us 
in this little box and the world goes, <laughs> you're stuck, there's no way out. And you know what? By their thinking, they're right. But as some old preacher said a long time ago, that's called stinking thinking when you can only see it the way the world sees it. Paul said that because of what lives in me, I'm never truly stuck. So don't walk into 2021 thinking, <laughs> there's no way out of this. I'm going to be stuck in this year. Paul says that if what's inside of you is the same thing that's inside of me, you're never truly stuck. You're never truly stopped from moving forward. You may not move the way you want to move, but with God, there's always a way forward. He goes on to say that we are perplexed, but not in despair. <laughs> I love that word, perplexed. I think we're all perplexed. At any given moment, at any given minute, at any given hour of any given day, pandemic, not 2021, 2020, it doesn't matter. There are things that we just don't get in questions that we always have. How did they make an Oreo thin? She bought some the other day from Walmart. They took an Oreo and they made it thin. And I congratulate them because it's the one thing I can't do for myself. I have not figured out how to make myself thin. But Oreo has figured out how to take a normal size Oreo and make it paper thin. <laughs> Defies physics. And normally, you don't know this about me, but you'll learn this about me. Oreos are like the thing that you don't mess with in my universe. They were designed to be made double stuffed. Whoever made the first one got it wrong. I like it more and more every day, bro. They were designed to be eaten a certain way with a very particular beverage. The milk is supposed to be regular milk. It's not supposed to be chocolate or strawberry. <clears throat> Thank you very much. Although I know some people that do chocolate milk with their Oreos. And I'm just not sure where they thought that that was a good idea. But that's chasing a rabbit right now. But they took an Oreo and they made it thin. But here's what's crazy. I felt compelled to try one to seven of them last night. Because they're thin, right? I mean, I figured that if you stack three of them together, you got a regular Oreo. So if I'm going to eat two Oreos, I need to eat six of them. Yeah. Right? There's just, I mean, that's just logic to me. I mean, that's just using the noodle. God didn't put it between my ears just to keep my head round. I'm supposed to use it from time to time. And so I'm sitting there, and I eat this Oreo, and here's what's crazy. It tastes like a regular Oreo. Because here's what they did. When they made the cookie part paper thin, they also adjusted the cream to cookie ratio so it maintained the same flavor. You just get one third as much, which is infuriating in and of itself. I am. I've thought a lot about this. But here's what somebody at Oreo, at Nabisco, and if you're watching online, I don't think they are, but if there is, just Hang with me because I got some good advice for you and for your company on how you can fix this. It didn't, it looks weird. You take it out, it does not feel like an Oreo. 
when you try and dunk it in milk, it doesn't hold itself the way it should. The texture's different. It's a little crunchier. It's more like eating a cracker. But it tastes the same. Because the ratio of what's in the inside matches what's on the outside. So it kept its integrity. It's crazy to think about an Oreo being anything related to what we're talking about this morning. But Paul said, you know, there's things we're not going to understand. But as long as there's more of what's inside of me than what's outside of me, things will make more sense. And it will be consistent in my world and the way I see things. Just like an Oreo. Somehow they managed to get it thin, but because they kept the ratio of inside to outside the same, it works. That's what churches have to do. To be successful, well, at some point we may be single, double stuffed, or thin. It doesn't matter. As long as the ratio of what's on the inside is greater than what's on the outside, we will be successful. So in times... We're going to be called to be double stuffed, maybe a triple stuffed. Whoever thought of that? Now that guy needs a raise at Nabisco. Because when I was a kid, you used to take two doubles apart and put them together and throw the cookie part away and make a quadruple. The problem is you only get about 12 of those in a packet before somebody starts yelling at you. But to be successful, we have to think like Paul thinks. We have to understand the nature of what's on the inside matters way more than what's on the outside. But what's on the outside probably needs to change from time to time. But we have to keep the ratio the same. But there's things that we're not going to understand. We're going to be perplexed. I watch my little girl, sweet as she is, follow her around for 10 minutes of her day and try and figure out what she's thinking. You are perplexed. Why did you do that? How did you get mama's mascara pencil? <clears throat> Why did you doodle all over the comforter and the seat with mascara pencil? True story, it happened. And she's so excited, so happy with herself. She's just like, look what I did. She's so artistic. But there's lots of things <coughs> that I'm never going to have an answer to. I had a conversation with somebody this morning. You know, you can know why things are going to happen, but it doesn't make them hurt less. I can know exactly how this virus works. I can know exactly, but it doesn't change the fact that the people who have gotten sick from it, the people that are hurt from it, the people that will be, it's not going to change that reality. You have people in your own life right now that you can't figure out why they do what they do and why they think what they think. But all you know is that it brings you hurt and pain. But even if you knew exactly what was going through their brain when they made the decisions that they made, it wouldn't make you hurt any less for their situation. Perplexed. But Paul says not distressed. Another way of saying that is devoid of hope. Even though there are things that I don't have answers to, and if I was to take a poll this morning, which I'm not, but if I was to say, raise your hand if there's things you don't have answers to, first thing popped in my head is why they made a thin one. Anyway. I would say, okay, you have questions, but if you have Christ, you're never completely without hope. 
You're never completely distressed to the point where there is no future for you. He goes on to say, we are persecuted, but not forsaken. That's a really interesting way of talking about it, because persecution is that you are hurt for what you believe. But there's also this idea in the Greek that's baked into this word that it has this way of isolating you too. Persecution has a way of singling you out and taking you away from the mainstream. Usually the mainstream is never persecuted. It's the fringe that's pushed to the side and persecuted. So when Paul talked about being persecuted, he said, yeah, I'm being hurt for what I believe and what I say about the truth of who Jesus Christ is. But you know what it's also doing? It's cutting me off from people. It's isolating me. Folks, that rings true for the church in this culture. That if you stand up for Christ, you're going to get pushed to the side. You're going to get marginalized. You're going to get isolated. You know, the irony is, is Paul is talking to the church... And the church is currently the one persecuting him and isolating him for what he believes. The church at Corinth is giving him the hard time right now. Can I remind you we're in the second letter he had to write to them? And he's looking at them going, but you know what? You can isolate me. You can persecute me. But no matter how much you isolate me, no matter how much you cut me off, I am never truly alone. I'm never truly forsaken. Because you can leave me, you can leave me, you can leave me, but God never will. That's good today. The Bible tells us it was good yesterday. And the cross at Calvary and the empty tomb says it's good tomorrow. And you can't tell me I can't see the future. God has been in the future and he's been in tomorrow at the same time. When he made the world, he saw the end. And sure, you can flip to the end of the good book and look at Revelation and you can see exactly what he said about the end of the world. But you know what? I need to make it to the end of the day. I don't know about the rest of y'all. I need to make it to the end of the service. I need to make it to the end of just this next little thing that I'm in. I'm grateful that my future is secured all the way into eternity. But God isn't just worried about your eternity. You know, Paul said he gave us the greatest thing in Christ. Why would he hold back and give us anything less? He's not just worried about way down the line. He's worried about you right now. He's worried about your next five minutes. He's worried about tomorrow. And Paul said that that is why I have the security. That's what Christ gives me. He gives me the future, but he gives me everything from the moment I'm breathing to everything in between, too. So whether it's 2020, 2021, it doesn't matter. All under his control, all secure based on what's on the inside of me. But he says, not even done there. You can isolate me, you can persecute me, you can cut me off, but I'm never ever alone. I'm never truly forsaken. And even though I may be cast down, not destroyed. The word cast down there would be, it's a sports metaphor. Paul loved to use it. He was talking about Grecan Roman wrestling. Now, 
For some of y'all, this is going to come as a, as, a, as a hard lesson. There's a difference between wrestling and wrestling. My grandpa liked wrestling. You did not walk in front of the TV on Saturday afternoon and interrupt his wrestling match. The more flamboyant the outfit, the more tassels and strings you have, the more friends you have on you, apparently the tougher you are. The only place in the world that works, by the way. Wrestling. The more neon colored you are, the bigger and tougher you are. Paul wasn't talking about that kind of wrestling. I know that's going to break some of your hearts this morning. And I have a soft spot for it because I used to sit and watch it with my grandma like wrestling. You want to talk about somebody fun to watch wrestling with, watch it with your grandma. Because she would bless their heart. You know, that's country for you can say whatever you want next and you're absolved from it, right? You understand this, right? You can say bless her heart and say anything you want me, but you're covered because you started it with bless her heart. For some of y'all in the room, this might be new to you, but this is speaking Southern. As long as you say bless her heart, next thing you say is whatever you want and you're absolved because you said bless her heart. She'd somebody walk in that she didn't like on the wrestling, on the screen, and she'd say bless their heart. And then you knew she was getting ready to, in her sweet way, bless their mouth. Now she'd never actually say anything bad, but for my grandma, saying something bad meant, I don't like them. They are mean-spirited. I'd say, well, you got to have a villain, Grandma, for this to work. Well, bless her heart, I just don't like them. But Paul was talking about wrestling, the thing that's still in the Olympics, the game of trying to get somebody out of the ring or pin them on their back, and you earn points for it, whoever has the most points wins. Paul is saying, <laughs> and I, I think I believe him, Based on the laundry list of things we went through, he was beaten with whips, he was beaten with rods, he was beaten with sticks, he had rocks thrown at him. He was chained, he was put in stockades that would stretch him beyond the limits of what human ligaments are designed to have. He'd been blinded, he did that one, shipwrecked, he'd been run out of every town, every synagogue, and probably every church. From Jerusalem to Asia Minor. And he said, you know what? I have been thrown down before. I've been on my back. I've been down. I've been out. I've been maybe on the brink of defeat. Defeat of the opponent. I'm laying at defeat of the opponent. That's what our prayer used to say. That's what defeat means. You're laying at the defeat of the opponent. But he said, no matter how many times I've been knocked down, no matter how many times I've been on my back, when I have Christ inside of me, there will never come a time when I am ever truly defeated. You can't destroy this. This fragile earthen jar that breaks if you drop it, that dries it out if you leave it too long, that once it's broken, it's good for nothing. Yeah, that weak, ineffective clay jar that you're judging me for being, if there is something inside of there as great as Jesus Christ, you can never destroy this container for God's glory. Never. 
I need to hear that coming into 2021. I have been knocked down a few times. I know some of y'all have been too. All of us have been. The reality is, if there is something greater in you than what is in the world, and that's what he told us, greater am I than you, he, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Knocked down? Yes, a given. Is it going to happen tomorrow? Probably. Maybe before the end of the day. Maybe before the end of the service. But are you ever destroyed? I don't know. You tell me. Depends on what's on the inside. He said, persecuted but not forsaken. Cast down but not destroyed. And he said this, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life, the life also of Jesus might be manifest in our body. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. If you never get knocked down, you got no reason for anybody to ask you who helped you up. If you've never been persecuted, you never have anybody ask you what for. If you've never had a question that you or a situation that you didn't have an answer for, but yet you made it through to the other side, but that you still have hope, you have nobody to ask you, why do you still have hope? If you feel stuck, but yet somehow there was a way out, you have nobody ask you, how did you make it? And Paul's standing there, dragging this beaten and broken body that is an excuse for an earthen jar, and he's saying, because what's in me is greater than what's in the world. You might say to yourself, but for what reason? Fast forward with me to verse 16. And this is what this should cause to happen. You see, it doesn't matter whether you believe or not, you're still going to be troubled, perplexed, Persecuted and cast down. There's never a question about that. The future holds that for each and every one of us, whether you believe in Jesus or not. But if you have Jesus on the inside, you can not be distressed, not be in despair, not be forsaken, not be destroyed. And when you have that truth, here's what it should produce. Verse 16, for which cause we faint not, so just because I know those bad things are coming, I also know I'm going to make it through. I'm going to make it through. Amen. Now, I may come out the other side a little worse for wear. This body may be a little more beat up on the other side. But I won't be the same. But I won't be destroyed either. Then here's the crazy thing that happens. The more you embrace this, the more you believe this, the more you let this become the manifesto that rules your life, the truth of who Christ is, all of a sudden, the contents on the inside become greater than the jar holding it together. I was watching this YouTube video the other day while Zeke was falling asleep. And this guy, it was just crazy experiments. And he took and he put a blowtorch inside of a Coke can. And he turned the blowtorch on. And you could see the can starting to get hot. It was heating the air up on the inside. And while it was on the end of the blowtorch, he stuck it in a bowl of water. And the can immediately crushed. 
because the pressure of the water was greater than what was in the can. If you don't have something in you that can hold up to pressure, you're going to be like a can dropped in the ocean. That once you get so far down, the pressure is going to crush you. And might I remind you, not my words, but we're at best 10 cans. If we're going to contemporize this a little bit. Paul said earth and jars. It's like 10 cans. You're a Coke can. That's about how strong you are. But have you ever tried to crush a Coke can that hadn't been opened yet? It's not that easy to do. Because what's on the inside is pushing out more than what can push on the inside. It takes a lot of force to crush it. What if I was to tell you that Jesus Christ inside of you can put so much force outside that there is nothing that can ever crush you? And what should that produce? That should make you faint not, or how about this, fearless. Should make you absolutely fearless. There is nothing in this world for a believer of Jesus Christ that can ever truly hurt them. There is nothing in this world that can stop God's will from moving forward. You may say no, and God's going to say next. I'll find somebody else. But my will will not be frustrated by disobedience. It will not be frustrated by lack of faith. It will not be frustrated because of any other reason, because he's that big. He's that powerful. You should be fearless. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of always walking on eggshells. I'm tired of feeling like, gotta be careful. Why? Why? You know, last time I checked, truth is exclusive, and I have the only one that matters Jesus Christ. And until that becomes what is at the forefront of our speech, at the forefront of everything we do and believe and we say, we never embrace this reality truly. But he goes on further. He says, for we, for which cause we faint not, but though our outward man, person, perish, dies. I don't think I have to tell you that that's the reality, right? The first 15, 20 minutes I'm awake. I'm, I'll be 42 years old very shortly. I'm not that old of a man. But there are days when I wake up in the morning that I sound like a skeleton the first 45 minutes I'm awake because you can hear me clicking and popping walking through the house. Because I have no cartilage left in my ankles. And my knees are just... <laughs> Zeke thinks it's hilarious. Like a snap, crackle, pop man walking down the hallway. Now, once everything gets warmed up, and I know some of y'all know what I'm talking about, that have been living with this probably longer than I have, but once everything gets warmed up, you're pretty good, but once it cools off, it goes right back again. I'm telling you, I turned 41, and it's like my body just said, nope, we're done. My body retired at 40. I don't think it knows that I need it for another, hopefully, 30 or 40 years. But my body already put in its letter of resignation and said, my past two weeks for my last two weeks, and I'm out of here. It's the reality, but listen to this. The inward man, the inward person is renewed day by day. Day by day. That means that tomorrow is already taken care of. Why? Because you're taking care of today. 
But he goes on further. For our light affliction, our light problems. Think about this is a guy beaten with every form of thing you can be beaten by. Dogs have been beaten by less than Paul was. And he said that I count this as just easy. This is not that big of a deal, which is but for a moment, because he says it's not going to last forever. You realize that in that phrase itself is the reason why, God, why Paul was so compelled to preach and teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we've lost it in this generation for a moment. For a moment. That's all you have. That's all you have to share the truth of Jesus Christ with the people that you love the most that live in your house that you know are lost and going to hell without the truth of Jesus Christ in their heart, not just in their head. But for a moment, Paul stood in front of this church that was ready to run him out of there on a rail, and he kept preaching on the gospel because he knew whether they believed it or not, it was still the most important thing they needed to hear. We need to attack culture the exact same way. They don't want to hear it. They don't need it. They don't think it's true. They don't think it's relevant. But why does that stop us from continuing to be about Jesus? Shouldn't. It does. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more and exceeding an eternal weight of glory. Another way of saying that is for our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incorruptible eternal weight of glory. That's where we're going to land this morning. When I was a kid, there was a story in mythology that I found super fascinating. It was called the story of the philosopher's stone. Back in the ancient world, they believed that you could transmute less valuable things into more valuable. They thought that if you had the right chemical combination, that you could take a pile of lead and turn it into a pile of gold. It's called transmutation. And they believed that there was this particular stone that had this power, like the Midas touch, that it could transmute something of less value into something more valuable. Well, science hasn't answered all the questions for us, but it has answered us the question. You can't turn a tin can into gold. It doesn't happen. You can break it down into smaller things. You can make it into other things, but you can't take tin and turn it into gold. But you know what? God can take the cracked, fractured, frail clay jar that you are that when you first come to him, I don't even want to tell you what it's full of, but you knew because you knew who you were before you met him, but it was full of no good. Full of rotten, stinking, putrid sin inside of that container. And the first thing he did was he dumped it out and washed it clean. And then he started to pour his glory into that clay jar. He took something that at best was worth a nickel and he made it invaluable. That's what Jesus Christ does in your life. He can take the worthless, the refuse, the trash, and he can transmute it into the most valuable thing in the world. A child of the king. 
He can take the orphan and make them a son or daughter of the Most High. That's the future that's out there for you with Jesus Christ. So while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, that's that inward person. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I don't know about you, but after I read this, after I listen to it, after I talk about it, after I let it in a little bit, I start to feel a little bit better about the future. I start to say, you know what? I may not know exactly what's going to happen tomorrow, but yeah, I kind of do. I know exactly what the world's going to say to me. It's the same thing it said to Jesus. It's the same thing that the church at Corinth is telling Paul right now. And my response can be one that I cook up that's half brand and half plan, or I can respond the way that God intended me to with the truth of what's inside of me. So although I may be all those things with Christ, I can be none of them and I can be valuable. So you have every bit of your future in your control. I'm not saying you can control the future, but you can determine how you're going to react to the future. You know everything you need to know. God has cracked open the window on the future and on humanity and on the human condition and on the state of the human soul and he's told you everything you need to know about tomorrow. And why did he do that? So that you can live today. Do not let the future take your hope captive. Do not let the uncertainty of tomorrow steal your joy today because the same God that keeps you from being destroyed forsaken distressed or crushed is the same God that's going to be there tomorrow 